If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. We're continuing in a series called Spirit-Led Living. And today I want to speak to you a message called Four Doors. Four Doors. Um, uh, the most distinguishing mark in the life of a believer is simply this. It is God's presence. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for far too long, we have, uh, 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 the Holy Spirit has been the God we never knew. He's been the God we didn't understand. He's been the God that uh, many churches don't even talk about. We, and so, but, but here we know that if we are going to be the people that God has called us to be and answer the call that God has placed upon us, we have to live as those who are led by the Spirit. You say, well, why would you say that in such a strong way? Here's why, because Romans 8, 14 says this. It says that, that those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We have to be led by the Spirit and not by our flesh. Now, today I'm going to give you loads of scripture and loads of note. And, and today, if you could imagine this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna like to take a speedboat over the deepest place in the ocean. And uh, I, I want you, if you have the Bible app, please launch that. All of the notes for the sermon are right there. You can go to today's message at calvary.online, click that, and all the notes will come up. You can add your own notes. Uh, they are there for you. Um, there's, there's lots there. But I'm about to kind of take you through four doors that the Holy Spirit leads every single person through. When you think of a door, I want you to think of this word, opportunity. There is an opportunity that God is setting before us that the Holy Spirit is leading us toward. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and I believe that this is a word for us as well. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. Man, that's a good word for someone. What God opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He said, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. Everybody say open door. An open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength and that you've kept my word and have not de denied my name. There are open doors, open opportunities for us to walk through if we will follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, here at Calvary, we have a, a pretty clear mission and vision. The mission is really what I would describe as the culture of Calvary. And that is this, that, that together we would extravagantly love Jesus. Now, that, uh, that should help to describe, for those who are visiting, why our worship services are so passionate it is because he lavished his love on us, and because he first loved us, we love him. 
And so we think we should extravagantly love Jesus. We confront voices that say, no, it really doesn't take all of that. No, it doesn't take all of that. We get to give him everything. We, it is a benefit of being in relationship with God. So here at Calvary, together, we want to extravagantly love Jesus and selflessly love people. That's the culture. We love you. We don't care where you're from. We don't care how you smell. We like you even when you're from West Virginia. Ask Pastor Dylan, okay? And if you're from Arkansas, God bless you. There's hand sanitizer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife's from Mississippi. The failed state motto of Mississippi, it says, come to our state. You'll feel better about yours. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we do love you. We love you. We love you. No matter what your background, no matter where you're from, we love you. And, and we, we, we want to selfless. We want to lay our lives down. Why? To see you answer your calling in God. Now, that's a big culture thing, extravagantly loving Jesus, all of us together, selflessly loving others. But what do we want to see for every single person? There is something that we want to see happen in your life. And it's four things. The vision of, of, uh, of the house is to see people saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. It's to see every single person. This isn't a maybe. This is exactly what we're pursuing. And this is based directly upon Scripture and Revelation from Exodus chapter 6, which I'm not going to go into today. But the Lord described this to me as I was pers uh, just pursuing him in prayer as four doors. And we're going to look today at these four doors that the Holy Spirit is leading every single one of us Two. The first door today is the door of salvation. It is the door of salvation. Now, the door of salvation, you could also title it the door of forgiveness. The Holy Spirit right now over this whole planet is aiming every single person, every person toward this door. And let me just tell you, it's a big door and it's open. Jesus opened the way for every sin, every stain to be removed. How did he do it? He did it by giving his life as the perfect sacrifice. He is calling every single one to be forgiven. The Spirit is leading you there. If you don't have a relationship with God, I believe in whatever way necessary. God got you here this morning to just lead you to the first door. Matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is saying, that door, you kind of closed it. You've got a door. It's the door of your heart. And he's standing at the door of your heart and he is knocking. He says, if anyone, anyone, listen to this, anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what your path has been, he is standing, rapping at the door of your heart and said, if you will open it, I will come in and I'll dine with you. And guess what? He's cooking dinner. He's the one that's made the meal. 
In the Gospel of Luke, we find that there is a master of the house. He set a table and everything is ready. Everything is prepared. And he, sa- he says, he invites people and people kind of make excuses. You know what the, you know the, the, the story? One says, hey, uh, I, I just bought some cows. I got to go out and test them. And another, another guy, and I really think this guy, I mean, in my opinion, ladies, I think that this was a legitimate excuse. He said, hey, I just got married. But Jesus, in this parable, said, that's not an excuse. Now, wives, I'm on your side. <laughs> that if somebody invites Somebody on your honeymoon, if someone invites you somewhere, you don't have to go there. But the, but the picture given by God is, is that there is nothing that should keep you from the table that God has prepared for you in his love. And I just want you to know, I don't know where you are today. There's an open door of salvation, an open door for you to be right with God, to be made right. And the Holy Spirit is declaring that God loves you. And that he sent his son to pay a price you could not pay. And that the work of the cross, it's finished. He, Jesus uttered these words from the cross to telestai in the Greek. It means paid in full. Listen, stop, stop, stop. All of us in the church need to stop thinking that maybe once you've gave, given your life to Christ, that now it's your job to keep yourself saved. Every time you sin, every time you fall, you, you, kind, of, you kind of say, well, okay, I'm, gonna make, I'm, I'm just going to suffer a little while. I need to suffer a little while. I need to pay some penance. I need to do something after, but I'm just going to tell you every sin has been paid for in the cross. The work of the cross is complete and the way of salvation is open. There's a good gift behind that door. John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus and he came to him by night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. I'm telling you, you must be born again. I, I saw, I saw some, some television episode, uh, you know, on, on Netflix. My kids were watching. It's kind of a, a funny show about a guy who has got extreme, uh, you know, compulsive disorder, but it makes him a great detective. And he's having a conversation with his assistant in one of the episodes. And, uh, and his assistant actually asked this question. She says, you think I'm going to hell? You think I'm going, I'm not going to go to heaven? And she's, she basically begins to defend herself. And the reason she's going to heaven is that she's a good person. And I I want you to know that that is a very common misunderstanding. You don't go to heaven because you're good. 
we get to go to heaven because he's good. Because he declared his love for us. It's not based upon our works. It's based upon his work. And you must be born again. You can't get there. You've got to be born. Uh, born again in the Greek actually is born from above. Or born of the spirit. So when it says you, a man must be born of water, that's not actually talking about baptism. That's talking about the water in the womb. It's natural. So you got to be born of water and spirit. You need a spirit birth. Have you been reborn? If you want to go into the door of the family of God and receive the free gift, you must be born again. I know that there are many people who come to church and they just kind of do the religious routine and say, I just want to be a, a good person. Uh, you know, and, I, I, and, and some of those things are noble just to be good and kind. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just not the way you get into heaven. You follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit who leads you to the feet of a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is God's only son on the cross. Who bled and died not for himself, but gave himself as the perfect lamb of God. Behind this first door is a free gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear that? It's a gift. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you should know these verses down deep in your heart. If you don't, put them to memory. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You're not saved by works. You're saved by receiving the free gift of salvation by faith. By faith in what he did for you. Say, how do I do that? How do I be, be, get born again? Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the, the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I make it very simple. It is repent, believe, and confess. Repent, believe, confess. Repent means it's metanoia. It means to change your thinking. It's a change in the way that you think, meaning that I'm good enough on my own is kind of how most people think. Um, um, I have a way, uh, a sense of justice when it comes to heaven or hell. Well, God is saying, no, I want you to change the way that you think. I want you to change the way uh, that you think so that he can change the way you live. God is not saying change the way you live and you'll be saved. He says, change the way you think. Start to think like I think. Think the thoughts that I am telling you to think. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't think you can earn this. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Salvation. And so we repent. We turn as a result of seeing the light of truth. And then we believe. We believe that the cross was enough. That the sacrifice was enough. And we confess. Let me put it to a, another way. Salvation is a free gift. But when you confess Jesus is Lord of your life, you actually turn over your life to him. You don't take it back. You just simply turn it over. I would say it this way. On one side of the coin, salvation is a free gift. The other side of the coin is it costs you everything. 
But compared to the, to the gift, it's, not, it's like you're not giving anything at all. So it's the door of salvation. The next door that I know the Holy Spirit's leading every single person to is the door of baptism. The door of baptism. Now, this is the door of identity. This is where you stop pursuing being you and you start pursuing Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where you begin to get fully identified with the work that Christ has done in your life. And you get so immersed in who he is, I love this statement, that other people start to ask you, who are you? Get so immersed in his love. How do you love that way? Who are you? How do you give that way? Who, who are you? People will start to investigate who you are when you get fully immersed in who he is. And this is what baptism really is. This is why each one of us need to be water baptized. First, let me give you just three quick reasons. We're, we get water baptized to obey the command. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to him, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's Acts 2.38a. And, and so there is a command to repent and be baptized. In the early church, uh, there was no separation of time between conversion and baptism. They were almost synonymous. So when people gave their lives to Christ, they looked for water. They just went to look to make this public confession. They were saying, I am going to obey the command. Second, we, we, we are water baptized to conform to conform to Christ. Romans 6.3, it says, or do you not know that many of us were baptized, immersed, that's what that means, dipped into Christ. We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. What does this mean? This means that when we go into the water and we go under the water and we come up out of the water, we are saying in the same way that Christ entered into the waters of suffering, died and was buried, and then the power of God raised him up, I now am taking that as the most identifying marks on my life. And we're doing it publicly. Now, this is a, this is a really big deal. And I, you know, I, for, for some of us, we're just like, well, we don't really know why baptism is really... Uh, important, you know, and I, you know, there's some ladies who are like, yeah, I don't really want to have my hair wet in front of people. You know, uh, yeah, there's something a little more that we need to embrace in that. If we're still concerned about how we look, it, it could be that we're clinging to our identity 
rather than clinging to being conformed to his death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, can you, uh, do you understand that when you're pulled up out of baptism waters, you are saying, I'm coming up out of the grave. I'm coming up out of the grave. The power that shook the garden tomb and made a, a company of soldiers fall down like they were dead. That same power is going to pull me up out of the grave should I go the way of the grave. And if I'm still alive at his return, that same power is going to transform this mortal body into immortality. And I will see him and I will be like the resurrected Christ. Man, I'm conforming to that. I don't want to try to just be who I can be in the grave. I want to be who he makes me coming up out of the grave in new life. I'm, I'm conforming to that image. But lastly, uh, we also, uh, baptism, the reason the Spirit of God leads us to baptism is to circumcise us. It's to circumcise our flesh. He leads us to this door. See, baptism is called the circumcision of Christ. In Colossians 2, 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What is this saying? This is saying that when you are baptized, spiritually, God gets involved and cuts sin off from its source of strength, which is your flesh. When you are going into baptism water, you're saying, I am dying to myself and to my past. I'm dying to the things that held me bound and held me captive. Um, the greatest Old Testament picture of baptism, which the New Testament says all of Israel was baptized in this moment, is when the Israelites walked through the Red Sea. And so when all, it could be a million and a half, up to three million people, are, are going through the Red Sea and Egypt is behind them. Egypt is a type of sin and, and their captors are pursuing them and yet God is, is in between the two and they go through the Red Sea. They walk through. The waters are in a heap. The winds are blowing. They get over to the other side. The Egyptians followed them into the water. And then... God collapsed the waters on the Egyptians. What we need to understand is that baptism is not only a symbol. That We do this all of the time. We actually rob the, the ordinances of God of the power of God. We say communion is simply a symbol. Well, it is symbolic, but there is also a power associated with receiving the, the bread and, and the wine and receiving what it symbolizes. And the Holy Spirit gets involved in a moment of communion. He also gets involved in a moment of baptism. You say, what does he do? He drowns your Egyptians. He drowns your Egyptians. 
They follow you in the water. They just don't follow you out. And that is what we have to have by faith. We say, I am going, the Spirit of God's leading me there. And some of you, you, you maybe you gave your life to Christ as a child and perhaps you're baptized. And I don't, I don't begrudge that. I think that's, that's amazing. But you walked away from God. You weren't living for God, but you rededicated your life to God. And I say there's nothing wrong with marking that rededication with baptism. Because why? When we understand that what we're really saying is, God, I'm bringing these Egyptians in the water, but when I come up out of this water, I'm coming out in the power of your spirit and my flesh I am leaving behind. Spirit of God, drown my Egyptians. How many of us have dealt day after day with our past It feels like it's chasing us down? Here's where God deals with it. In the waters of baptism, he says, you no longer are going to be held by those cows. I'm going to take care of them for you. So the Spirit of God is leading us to the, the door of water baptism. And then there's another door. And this is the door of spirit baptism. The spirit baptism. This is the door of power. Acts 1.4 it says, and being assembled together with them, this is Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. The end of the earth. He says, listen, I am walking you toward this door of power, this door of spirit baptism. You say, why do I need the spirit baptism? Because uh, Jesus said you need it. Jesus said you need it. And he died on the cross for you to have it. And it is a secondary experience to being born again. And some wonderful things show up. I love what this says. It says, and you will be my witnesses. It does not say, and you will go witnessing when the church plans it on the third Thursday of the third month. So that is going to be our outreach. No, we've got an outreach plan. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you won't have to go witnessing. You'll live as a witness. You will live as a witness full of power. What happens at spirit baptism? What happened at this door of power? Acts 2, 4. Listen to this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Was that unique? That was pretty unique. Spirit fell on them. They began to speak languages that they did not naturally learn. 3,000 people got born again that day. And some of you in here, perhaps you invited somebody to church today. And you're like, oh no, somebody gave a tongue. Because we got it figured out, don't we? 
We got we to gotta hide the Holy Spirit to reach people, right? Not according to Acts chapter 2, because when he comes, they start speaking in languages they never knew. They actually accused all of those people of being drunk at 9 in the morning. What a reputation. So evidently, the Holy Spirit is not really concerned about your reputation. They begin to release these languages they had no natural knowledge of, and 3,000 people get born again. I actually believe the more that we would embrace spiritual gifts, the more that we would see a harvest in our day. This is why the Spirit of God is leading us to the door of power. You say, well, that was pretty unique in Acts 2. Yeah, the problem is, is that he shows up again in Acts 10 and Acts 19, and there are years between Acts 10 says it this way. It says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, were they were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for, listen to this, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So the, the way that they knew that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit is they were, they were speaking in other tongues. And it wasn't a message for them. That was not a message for them. That was just them glorifying God in tongues. So when spirit baptism shows up, it's not just for the unique uh, launch of the church in Acts chapter 2. It is for the launching of every believer into their ministry. And the Spirit of God is leading us to the door of power. And lots of us will go through the first two. And then the others will see the third door of power. And we're like, oh, I'm not real sure. No, about that one. Because if I go through that door, I'm really going to lose my identity. Because the power that shows up when you go through that gateway, it's supernatural. And it will never originate with you. It actually originates with God. Hallelujah. Look what happened in Acts 19. Years later, it says, and Paul laid hands on these disciples that he came in. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is what they said. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means they had no idea. So he, he, he spoke to them the gospel and laid hands on them. Look at what happened. It says he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Well, how many of them received it? All of them. How many received, them, uh, received it on the day of Pentecost? All of them. Hallelujah. So, when some people say, well, that's just not my gift, you're, you're, you're kind of missing, messing that, mixing that up. The public use, you may never stand in front of a crowd and release a message for the whole body, but you can have a personal prayer language, which is a grace. Grace is for everybody. I just say it this way because I help people with this. The reason I can say that tongues is a grace is because the word charisma or the word gift, it comes from the word charisma. Charis is the word grace. Charisma means grace gifted. And so 
everybody can have the grace of tongues, but not everybody operates in the gift of tongues. If you have questions about that, about, I think it was about two years ago, I spoke a, a message with a non-controversial title uh, on the Holy Spirit called, said, does he speak in tongues? You can go to calvary.online and listen to that sermon, and it goes much deeper in, into this. So what happens at this door? All of them are, are, are praying in a heavenly language. You say, well, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me just give you a few things quickly. We repent and we get water baptized. We go through the first two doors. Acts 2.38 says, repent and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance and baptism. Next, thirsting. John 7, 37 says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would, were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what's he saying? He's saying, you need to thirst. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when you go through the door, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. But listen, God is a very good steward. And he never squanders gifts on people who don't want them. That's why we need to thirst for the Holy Spirit. That's why, if you don't want it, I promise you, or you don't feel like you need it, you, you'll probably never walk in the fullness of it unless God, by his grace and sovereignty, invades your life in a powerful way while you're sleeping, which he has been known to do. We thirst. We also ask. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Ask. Luke chapter 11 says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Listen, I know, I know that some people, well, they sit in services like this and they hear these scriptures. They say, well, if he wants to give me the Holy Spirit, then he can give it. Well, I'm just going to tell you that's, that attitude is not scriptural. It's not scriptural. Here's the scriptural attitude. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. I long for the Holy Spirit. I'm thirsting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus plainly teaches God's children should ask their Heavenly Father for this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. This next one is drinking. This is actively receiving. John 37, John 7, 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, it says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. This is, this is really a practical instruction. It's like practically participate. I always tell people, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to participate. God is not wanting to just simply uh, make you uh, a, a robot. He doesn't want to just have you not participate. He's always looking for cooperation. And so many people, uh, they, they just kind of cross their arms and they, oh yeah, well, I'll just pray. And they keep their mouth shut, you know, and they're just like, oh, well. You know, if God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, you have to participate by speaking it out. 
And that's just a practical instruction. Can I just tell you, for years, I grew up in a, 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 a little church that called everything like this the devil. And it was a great church. I learned about, about Jesus. I am so grateful for the foundation they gave me. But in this one area, they didn't, they didn't have any revelation. And they told me it was the devil. So at 12 years old, when I accidentally ended up in a church like this, And maybe you're here today going, I accidentally ended up here too. <laughs> I accidentally ended up in a place like this. And I ended up accidentally answering an altar call. You know why? Because I felt the love of God in this place. I felt the love of God like I'd never felt before. The tangible presence of God. And I went down and they prayed for me. And all of a sudden, I began to hear a language in my gut at age 12 years old that I had never heard before. But I had heard those other voices that said, don't you do that. That's the devil. So you know what I did at age 12? Nothing. I'm like, I'm carrying the devil around. I'm serious. You know when I got set free? Nine years later, when I had a deep encounter with God and the power of God hit me in a restaurant, 21 years old, I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and never once activated it, never once walked in its power, actually tried to ignore it. God would show me things and, and I would see things and I was like, ooh, that's the devil. I'm serious. I, mis I, I mistook the prophetic for psychic. Because in my church, the only power we talked about was the power of the devil. We didn't know about the power of God. And you could be here today and you're like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about, uh, about, uh, about spiritual gifts. I promise you it's in God's word. And I want you to go and see whether or not the things I am telling you are the truth. They will check out and they bear the weight of whatever scrutiny you bring. But when you find that it is truth and when you find that you do not possess a power enough to walk in the precepts of this book, you will find yourself at a door called power because Jesus said, before you go into all the world, his first command was not go, it was wait until you are endued with power from on high. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we yield. We surrender our will and we surrender ourselves to him. We just yield. And these are just helpful ideas. Does God always do it in this order? No, he's amazing. He's amazing. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's speaking those people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they went looking for water. But the scripture says, repent and be baptized, and then you will receive. So what do we say? Repent and be baptized, but God's amazing. He's sovereign. He can do it. But God wants you to walk through the door of power. Why? Because there's a door beyond it. And the last door is simply this. It's the door of evangelism. It's the door of evangelism. It's the door of influence. 2 Corinthians 2.12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, listen, this is what Paul said. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. See, there's a door beyond spirit baptism. 
And it's a door of opportunity to influence for the kingdom. It's a door to, to shout loudly all that God has done. And God opens doors in time for us to step into, which is why I am so convinced. And I, I feel as an ambassador sent from God to awaken you to the awareness that this is that moment for us. This is the moment where many right now are, they need the gospel. They need Jesus. And the way that they hear is when we go and we share. My heart sank. It's just two days ago, another person lost their life in Beverly Hills on the roads. Lost their life. And I hear about some of the things that are going on. And, you know, we, 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 we can't miss what's happening all around us. Someone just slipped into eternity. There's a door behind power. They see, the power's not about you. It's about you being a living demonstration of a risen Savior. And the open doors are moments in time where we have to step into it, where we have to step in and say, this is the time for me to preach. My time isn't coming. My time hasn't passed. God has me here right now in this time because I'm saved. I'm, I'm fully identified with him. I'm full of his power, but it's unto something, an open door for awakening and revival in this community. This is the day. This is the hour. And what you're neighbors need isn't just for you to be nice it, they need you to be kind which means useful and share the truth with them pray for them ask God to heal them ask God to do a miracle in their lives it doesn't matter what they believe it doesn't matter listen to what Jesus says about you you who get baptized in his presence. You who are conformed to his image. You who have been touched and redeemed by the blood of the lamb. He says this of you, not of himself, of you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill which cannot be hidden. He says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I heard a story recently of someone who used to be involved in witchcraft. And they said... They said this, he says that in the spirit, they could tell when they would get near Christians. He says, because they had this like little light kind of in their bellies. He says, but there were different kinds of light. And, and this, this former warlock, this is, this is what he said. He says, he said, the ones... That just had like this little light. He says, we could, we, we, we would try to do spells and do that kind of thing on them. And we might have a little bit of influence on them. He goes, but we learned something. Never mess with those who have a raging fire. Because when we tried to put something on them, it always came back on us. And I want to tell you, who are the ones that with a raging fire? It's those who have the all-consuming fire in them. That's who have experienced the power of Pentecost. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's four doors. There's four doors. 
And as a pastor and as a friend, I'm asking, I'm commanding, you must be born again. I'm calling you to the feet of Jesus. I'm calling you to lose yourself and to be with, with the Apostle Paul who says in Galatians 2.20, he says, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live for the glory of God. I want you to be fully immersed in his identity, but I also want you to be fully immersed in his power, full of God's spirit, not afraid of the supernatural, not, by the way, we don't pursue the supernatural. The supernatural pursues us. That's what Mark 16 says. These signs shall follow them that believe. They follow us. And then we walk through that, that time of power and we find a strength that is not our own. And then we don't just do what, the, what Christ says to do. We live it. And then we step into these moments. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the hour. There isn't, I, I don't know what's coming in the future. I know what's standing before us open right now. There's an open door to see people come to Christ.